found it in Ephesians chapter 5. I told you marriage, money, and what's the third one? Men. <laughs> yeah, somebody remembered. Three themes this year. Actually, it was a lady that remembered. Uh, marriage, money, and men. And I think all of this is comprised in this lesson today. Look at Ephesians 5 and verse number 22, please. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Verse 28, please. It's not going to go to 28, is it? I'll go to my Bible. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Verse 31. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and so let the wife see that she respects her husband. I want to talk to you this morning about this thing of marriage. And I want to ask the question, contract or covenant? I, uh, before I pray, I always am honored by all the ministers that are in the service every Sunday. And I thank you, brother, for being here. Singularly this morning, it's a delight to have with us. Reverend Elvis Hester and his wife, Brother and Sister Hester, would you just raise your hand so they raise your hand they'll know who I'm talking about. Brother Hester and his wife uh, has just retired, so to speak, but not really, from a 25-year pastorate of Eagles Landing Church of God, which used to be Morrow Church of God, has done an outstanding job, not just there, but around the world. And I am very honored that both of you are here today. You could have had other places to go, and you chose to be here. We bless you, and thank you for being here. And all the other ministers, we're glad that you're here. Now, reach your hands in my direction because I can only help you as the Holy Spirit helps me. And so let us pray for each other. Father, I don't intend to be an entertainer. I don't intend to be a lecturer. Nor do I intend, oh God, Jesus, to uh, bore these people. Pray for me, church. God, give me unction from heaven. Renew my mind and my body. I know I've preached two other services this morning. But this is a, another moment in time with a different uh, Lord congregation here. God, I pray that I would separate myself from my flesh and any agenda I have, and I would listen to your voice. And that would be the same for every one of us. Some of the things that are said, God, may be uh, sort of like iron sharpening iron, but let it do a good work. Father, I pray that you would just move us this morning from a contract to a covenant. And that will make sense to us as we see your scripture and the light of it. Minister to every family and every home and every individual. We give you the glory for what has been done and what will be done. In Christ's name. And would you say amen? And amen it is. And thank you very much. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. James Wilson of the University of California writes about marriage. And... He writes in regards to this contractual interpretation of the approach to marriage. He says, marriage, once a sacrament, has become in the eyes of the law a contract that is easily negotiated, renegotiated, or rescinded. 
Mr. Wilson further added, it is now easier to renounce a marriage than a mortgage. At least the former occurs more frequently than the latter. I use his statement to make this statement. The modern day contractual approach to marriage in America has failed miserably. I read where some time ago, a few years now, the state of Louisiana passed a bill in the Louisiana legislature that allows couples to obtain a marriage covenant instead of a traditional marriage license. Let me explain. In this marriage covenant, couples sign a declaration in which they agree that marriage is a commitment to live together for life. They agree that they have chosen each other carefully and have disclosed to each other everything which could adversely affect their marriage in the future. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a nice thing if before couples get to the altar, they just, just put all the baggage out and say, this is who I am and uh, I'm trying to get better and I'm not going to give you surprises later on. Wouldn't that be good? Well, this, this covenant marriage that the state of Louisiana has passed for an option for couples requires premarital counseling and there must be the agreement that if a couple experiences difficulty, they will commit themselves to trying to preserve the marriage. Couples who choose a covenant marriage license may get divorced only after counseling and only for a specified list of reasons, including things like adultery, commission of a felon, abandonment for at least one year, separation for at least two years, or the physical or sexual abuse of a spouse or a child of either spouse. It appears that the goal of the Louisiana legislature is not to make divorce more difficult, but marriages more successful. I think that is encouraging news. Not long after that, the legislature of the state of Tennessee adopted a same sort of bill. And I guess that I say that to tell you that it is apparent that the secular world has observed what the church world has observed regarding marriage and that it appears in America that there is a national epidemic of divorce and fractured families. And I would submit to you this morning that the main cause of this is the breakdown of marriage as a covenant relationship. I'll explain in a moment. Let me ask you. How do you define marriage? Is it a covenant or a contract? Now, it's quite likely that everybody in this room has some kind of definition for marriage. One person said, marriage is like a three-ring circus. First, you have the engagement ring, then the wedding ring, and the supper ring. If you're sitting beside them, don't laugh too loud. Somebody else observed this definition of marriage. Marriage is an adventure, they say. It's like going off to war. And I must say that over the years I've done marital counseling and I have come to the conclusion that some couples might have been married instead of the justice of the peace doing the ceremony. They may have been married by the secretary of war. It's an adventure. Here's another definition of marriage. Marriage is like a midnight phone call. You get a ring. And then you wake up. 
it. All right, just smile. We'll get a little more serious later. Now, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 19 and 5. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to, the King James says, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The understanding is you have to leave before you can cleave. And some couples have a hard time cleaving because they never really leave home. It's like the young girl who wanted to talk to her father about getting married. And so one night she just rushed into where her father was and she said, Dad, Dad, Thomas asked me to marry him. And she was excited. That's great, sweetheart, the dad said. And she said, yes, but I don't know what I should do, Dad. And her father replied, what do you mean you don't know what you should do? Don't you want to marry Tom, honey? Oh, yes, she said, but I can't stand the thought of leaving mother. Well, don't let that stop you, he said. Take your mother with you. (laughs) My wife is not here. I think I'm clear to say that. She did stay with me. Now, for the next few moments, I'm going to do a little teaching that may break out in preaching. Okay? But I want you to get this concept from the Word of God. So I'll do a little teaching here, but stay with me. In order to answer the question, what is a covenant, we need to look to the Scriptures. Because the concept of covenant is deeply rooted in the Bible. Note, if you will, the concept of marriage as a covenant is based on the concept of God's relationship with his people. Let me show you what I mean. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel, God's people, is referred to as the bride of or the wife of Jehovah. Relationship. Then you go to the New Testament, and the church, you and I who are born again, the church, the called out ones, the saved ones, the church is called the bride of Christ. When in Revelations 21 and 2, the writer says, A bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Then in the passage I read to you this morning for our text in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5 and 32, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church, meaning that the relationship of Christ and the church is like the relationship of a husband and wife and in this interaction and in a play of thoughts, we find the meaning of what is covenant commitment instead of contract. Okay, what I'm going to do is move you through a few definitions to get you to where I want you to get the biblical definition. So follow me in the process. Okay, if you're looking for a definition, don't write the first few down unless you can write it real fast. But I'm going to get you to a place by going through this process. Therefore, a covenant can be a compact or agreement between parties binding them mutually to undertakings on each other's behalf, according to the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. Here's another definition. It can be a solemn promise made binding by an oath, which may be either a verbal formula or a symbolic action. Such an action or formula is recognized by both parties as the formal act which binds the actor to fulfill his promise. Comes to sound really legal, doesn't it? Let me clarify. In doing marriage ceremonies like ministries do, the bride and groom in the presence of their family and friends, etc., 
will come to the altar and they will make a verbal agreement. In this case, definition, verbal formula. They will what we call exchange vows to one another. And to affirm that verbal formula, they will use a symbolic action. It's called a wedding ring. And with the verbal commitment and the symbolic action of the ring, such an action or formula is recognized by both parties, bride and groom, as the formal act which binds them together to fulfill the purposes of marriage. Let me go further. Go further by saying, Arnold Rhodes, the author of the book, The Mighty Acts of God, says that a covenant is a binding of persons in a special relationship. Now, as important as these definitions are, church, they fail to make the distinction between a covenant and a contract. Let me explain. While a covenant and a contract appears to be the same, they are in fact polar opposites. As a matter of fact, the word translated covenant in the Bible is never used to describe a mutual treaty or contract. Now, pay close attention, if you will, to one scholar's explanation of this important truth. And here it is. Next slide, please. The Greek understanding of the term diakite, covenant, suggests that the covenant was no longer an agreement between two parties with equal rights. It came about as an exclusively divine action which men can only accept in the form in which it was given to them. There's more. A covenant does not consist of a negotiated agreement between two parties as in the case of a contract. Again, nowhere in the Bible does covenant mean mutual treaty. A covenant then must be understood as a one-party agreement which the other party may accept or reject, but not alter or negate. I'm moving you to the biblical definition. Think about God's covenant of love with us through His Son, Jesus Christ. God took the sole initiative in establishing the covenant simply because God loves us. Amen. We play no part in the making of this covenant. None of us in this room ascended into the heavens to speak to God face to face and negotiate the terms, the conditions, nor the benefits of His covenant for us and with us. It was all God's doing. Our role is one of a response to either accept or reject God's covenant of salvation for us. We didn't have a part in it at all. But here's a part we can have. First John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received Him, Jesus Christ, to them He gave the power, the right, to become the children of God, even as many who believe in His name. Somebody say amen with me. Now, I'm still moving you in a teaching mode here. The key phrase in all biblical covenants is this, I will. 
When God declares, I will, God is saying, I am taking the initiative to make and keep covenant with you purely because I love you and I desire a relationship with you. That's it. The one thing that is missing from such passages of God's covenant in Scripture is these words, you will. God doesn't say, I will do this if you will do that. That kind of terminology would be characteristic of a contract. God simply declares His intention to act on our behalf because He loves us. Oh, help me, Jesus. Now, so it is with marriage, church. A husband and wife unconditionally give their love to each other in a covenant as opposed to a contract. Okay, here's the definition I want you to have. Put it on the screen. What is a covenant? The marriage covenant is an agreement or promise made by one party to another on the basis of unconditional love, which the other party may either accept or reject, but may not alter or negate. I want you to look at that definition, and I want to build on it in just not too long a way, but in the sense that you get an appreciation, and I do, for the difference of a contract, which it appears that many marriages have gone to, and the appreciation for a covenant commitment, which is what the Word of God teaches. Everybody with me here? Let me show you. Number one. Let's contrast then covenant and contract. In a contract, you have a two-party agreement. In a covenant, you have a one-party commitment. God made a covenant with you and I, which we could either accept or reject, but we can't alter or change because we had no part in making it. We didn't send our son to die for nobody. Come on here, help me somebody. We didn't give up a royal diadem, a place in heaven, uh, beside the Father's rule and beside His own throne to make a covenant. We didn't shed our blood for anybody. So we don't have any business in changing His plan. He said, I just love you. Oh, help me preach. I'll preach by myself. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't a two-party agreement. I'll die if you get saved. I'm going to die even though you don't get saved, and maybe one day you'll get saved. Even though Christ knew that on February 15, 2009, there'd just be as much Christ-haters as there were at Calvary 2,000 years ago, and even worse in America than before, even though the Christ was spat on and mocked at, and symbolically today in America, He's still being spat on and mocked at. He said, in that while you were yet a sinner, I'm going to die for you just because I love you. Commitment, commitment, commitment. Oh, shit, Yes. So, so when, when a, a bride and groom stand before the minister at the front of the church, and when they say things like, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness or in health, uh, nothing shall separate us until death 
what they're saying is we are not making a contractual agreement here. He is saying to her and she is saying to him, I am not making an agreement. I am making a covenant commitment before God and you. I hope down the road, husband-to-be or wife-to-be, you don't choose to back out of it. But I'm not making this covenant to you just because of what I can get from you. I'm making a commitment to this marriage and I hope you are doing the same. Matter of fact, it's good to get that resolved before you get to the altar. Because if he ain't going to make a commitment, if she's not going to make a commitment, they're going to say, well, the last two didn't work, and if it was just one work, I'll go fishing. Pray to get drowned. Well, no, 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 no. Forgive me. That's flesh. No. This, this guy I saw on TV a couple weeks ago that's under investigation for the disappearance of his third wife, this Peterson guy. Yeah. Preaching ain't preaching unless you meddle, so... If you want uptown preaching, this is the wrong place. But if you want real, where we live preaching, just come on. Okay? And so he was being interviewed by one of the ABC uh, personnel. I don't know if you all saw it. And he told ABC that he's more, the reason he's on his fourth wife now, the third missing, and they don't know what happened to the second. Huh? What kind of, oh, God help me. Pray for me, some preacher. What kind of idiot would want to marry somebody like that? You've got to be brain dead, and some women are. Oh, God help me. I better go back up here and preach behind the pulpit. Why some women think, I gotta have a man, I gotta have a man, any man will do, I don't know. Because I prayed away some terrible men from some of you women sitting here. You drug in a piece of something here and introduced them to your pastor and thought I was impressed. They left you because I prayed. Up, glory. Keep praying, preacher. Yes, I will. Man, it always, always used to amaze me at school. As a boy in high school, Brother Merriman, I, I, you know, I'd see some beautiful, gorgeous girls, blonde hair, beautiful, nice blue eyes, but, or whatever. They're not just blonde hair, but I happen to be married to blonde. It would be impressive and get more points. Uh, uh, but these girls would be walking around with some old, look like high or low on drug, kind of slouch over looking like a pro-magnum man from 14,000 years ago. She holding on to his arm talking about she loves him. When he can't even pull up his pants, preach, yeah. Looked like he combed his hair with a weed eater before he came to school. Talking about I love him. I want to tell you something. Jennifer and Kimberly, our daughters, are not in, in this service right now, but we prayed away a few of those scraggly looking, no count. Mm. I don't know why I went there, but it feels good, and maybe it's my personal therapy I'm after got somebody who ain't sure they're going to stay with you, you just better leave them at the back door and don't go to the altar. But if they make a commitment first to God, if they make a commitment first to God and you're not unequally yoked, if they can make a commitment to God, it won't be hard for them to make a commitment to you. Let me move to the second comparison, if you will, of a contract and a covenant. In a contract, things are agreed upon conditionally. In a covenant, there's this thing known as unconditional love. Covenant love in marriage means that a husband and wife love each other as Jesus loves us. You all get me here? Okay. I want to show you what the Bible is. Oh, can you just begin to imagine with me how Jesus loves us? 
Can you begin to appreciate with me how that even though Jesus knows what He knows about us, before we got saved, He loved us. And even though after we got saved, He still knows some stuff about us and He loves us anyhow. When you think about how Jesus loves us, it helps you to understand the kind of unconditional love we should pray for in our marriage. Look how Jesus loves us. Number one, He loves us selflessly. His love is selfless. Jesus had a back door if He wanted it to escape the crucifixion. Am I right, church? Jesus could have detoured the cross. Not go to it at all, actually. Jesus could have, and he prayed, he said, in his selfless prayer, Lord, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Now, that wasn't an easy prayer because in a few moments after he prayed that prayer, the soldiers were coming, the mob would come, They would arrest him. They would put him through a mock trial. They would disrobe him of his regular clothes and put another robe on him to mock his deity. Are you with me, church? They, they, they They would pluck his beard, spit in his face, pull his hair. They would put a crown of thorns. All this is going through his mind while he's praying in the garden and he's asking his disciples to pray in the garden of Gethsemane. All these pictures, all these PowerPoints and videos are flashing through his head because he's God and he knows in not long from now and within 24 hours or so, I'm going to be hanging semi-naked on a cross with my back plowed up like a field, with my face so badly beaten nobody could recognize me, with me hanging between heaven and earth and the sun refusing to shine and even my Father in heaven might turn his back on me and he's praying oh God if it is thy will take this cup from me but if it's not thy will give me the power to do it I say that's selfless because he did it here's the love of Jesus his love oh help me Holy Spirit is sacrificial love and marriage covenant love there's going to be some times you're going to have to make some compromises oh yeah when you know you could win that argument, you got the power to win. But because you unconditionally love, you just kind of zip it. Amen for zip it. Yeah. At time, because you are the dominating one in the family because of your strength, physically or financially, you could use that to manipulate your partner. You choose not to. I'm preaching okay here. So this is counseling at large. And I ain't charging you for this, but if you want to come for private counseling, see Pastor Jeff, I ain't got time. I was just, just kidding, just kidding. I will see anybody God helps me to see. But the point of it is, sometimes we are educated beyond our level of obedience. Sacrificial love says, sacrificial love says, I forgive you once. Boy, if Jesus lived by legalistic means where he says forgive 70 times 7, even the same person. And if, if he did us that way, all of us would be living in the red. But we've done it more than 70 times 7. Look at Jesus' love. He, his love serves. The 
Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Here's another word. God said this about his son. Greater love, and, and about the love of Jesus, says no man than this. And a man laid down his life for his friends. Hey, scarcely for a friend we've laid down our life, much less for a stranger or a heathen. Jesus laid down his life for us. So, so here, let, let me hasten to say this. Jesus doesn't love us if, Jesus doesn't love us because of, Jesus loves us in spite of our sins, in spite of our imperfection, and in spite of our faults. Now everybody, thank God for that love. The Apostle Paul makes it so beautifully clear for us about covenant love. Look at the screen, if you will. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. I'll read it, you look at it. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, because love never fails. Thank you, Jesus. Here's a third comparison. This thing of a contract involves give and take. This beautiful gift of covenant involves pure give. Jesus in, in Luke 6 and 31 said, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's called the golden rule. Again, I say it because not everybody gets it. Because if everybody got it, things would be different. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In a little prayer book that records children's prayers to God, Darla wrote this prayer to God. Darla said, Dear God, did you really mean do unto others as they do unto you? Because if you did, I am going to fix my brother. I think she missed it, don't you? You don't do unto others as they do to you. You do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There are three kinds of ways that you can keep the golden rule. One is preferable above the other two. Let me show you. Number one, the golden rule can be interpreted in this way, a give and take style. But if you, if you operate in a give and take style, what you have is a contract. In this approach of give and take, we usually do no more or less for others than they do for us. It's kind of 50-50. I'll give if you give. I'll forgive if you'll forgive. I'll do if you'll do. And that's not covenant. This give and take style says something like this. We, live, we love others when and because they love us. Here's another interpretation. It's called a pure take style. It's selfishness. This pure take style says to others, and particularly our spouse, we will receive from you, but we're not willing to do from you, for you. Uh, the pure take style says, I'm the master. You're the servant. The pure take style says, I'm the dictator. And you'll do what I say. Pure take style 
sees one spouse as a resource for one's own pleasure and happiness without returning pleasure and happiness to them. It was as quiet in the last two services when I said that as it is right now. I kid you not. The pure tape style says, I work X number of hours a day. You just wash the dishes, take care of the kids, change the diapers, clean the floor, fold the clothes, pay the bills, and therefore when I come in, hand me the remote. Oh, buddy. If you want to ignite a fire in your house, try living the pure tape style. Because one day, that person who's taken and taken, unless they're sanctified, is going to take a frying pan. Y'all know I'm going. And they're going to ask you if you want it fried, scrambled, or over easy. <laughs> when you wake up after six days in the hospital, you're going to understand that they've been holding stuff in for a long time. And you wish they would have told you earlier. Yes, they told you now. Don't use them. Let me give you something else. Here's the best of the three. The pure gift style. The pure gift style goes something like this. I can best explain it. In a letter written to Ann Landers some years ago. And it goes like this. I'm going to tell you about a story that I witness every time I go to the nursing home to see my husband who has Alzheimer's disease. Unfortunately, I know firsthand how this terrible illness affects family members. But I would like the world to know what love really is. The writer to Ann Landers says, I see a man who... I understand, has spent the last eight years caring for his wife who has Alzheimer's. They've been married more than 50 years. He cooks and feeds her every bite of food she eats. He has bathed her and dressed her every day all these years. They have no other family. She lost a baby at birth and they never had any more children. He goes on to say, I cannot describe the tenderness and love that this man shows for his wife. She's unable to recognize anyone, including him. The only thing she shows any interest in are two baby dolls. They are never out of her hands. I observed him when I parked my car beside him the other day. He sat in his old pickup truck for a few minutes. Then he patted down, straightened the threadbare collar of his shirt, and looked in the mirror for a final check before going to see his wife. It was as if he was courting her. They've been partners all these years and have seen each other under all kinds of circumstances. Yet he carefully groomed himself before he called on his wife who wouldn't even know him. This is an example of the source of love and commitment in marriages my children and they say, I'm getting older, but I'm going to take you out to dinner on the condition, honey, that when I get older, even though you get to choose and pick my make and marry, that you do it well. And, and when I get older, you choose to take care of me. When I get older, you can make sure everything's in place, everything is buttoned up and zipped up and looking nice. 
go ahead and laugh because you don't want to talk about it. Because I ain't taking you out for free. I'm going to get old one day. I'm going to need somebody to help me think. See, that, that doesn't have to be arranged with your wife or your husband if you are in covenant love. Oh, covenant love gives compliments without expecting any in return. Compliment, love, uh, uh, covenant love, pure love. And I am going to try to close here. Uh, listen. Covenant love makes deposits into your spouse's life, even when it's not Valentine's Day. You know, the only kind of speech some people have in their marriage is destructive speech. Yeah. Uh, Lady Astor and Winston Churchill, they both served in the British Parliament at the same time, but they didn't like each other. There's something about Churchill that turned Lady Astor off, and there's something about Lady Ashton that made Churchill what the British team. So they were always at each other. And one day she observed some behavior from him that she just didn't like. And she said to Churchill, Churchill, if I were your wife, I would put arsenic in your tea. To which he said to her, ma'am, if I, you were my wife, I would gladly drink that tea. <laughs> On another occasion, another occasion, uh, she was so turned off by him. He had come to the parliament inebriated, drunk. She was so disgusted that he would come to a place like that, drunk. She said, Churchill, you are drunk, sir. He said, yes, ma'am, and you are ugly, but tomorrow morning I'll be sober. See, you're laughing. That's the only note you take during the whole sermon. Huh? Destructive speech. That's not pure covenant love. Why don't you make biscuits like my mama used to? Why don't you bring home the dough like my daddy did? Just a little information. Well, I better go back to your favorite say. One more thought. Last. This is the last of it. Contract terms are based on human efforts. The capacity of human efforts to keep the contract valid. You with me? Covenant will take human effort, but it's based on God's grace given to you to do what in the natural and the flesh you cannot do. I bear witness to pastors who are here this morning, and I know that we have counseled people in hoping that their marriage would last. But in spite of all the counseling, etc., one partner elected to depart the marriage. Could have been, for whatever reason, could have been sexual infidelity, could have been abandonment, could have been abuse, whatever. And so, we, we try our best to afford help and strength. Sometimes in spite of what we do, somebody leaves. So the question is, what do we do when we break the covenant and don't keep our vows or somebody else doesn't keep their vows? Then the question begs another question. How does God deal with us when we break our covenant with Him? When we sin, does God terminate our relationship? No. 
Does God have the power to terminate the relationship? No, I'm not talking about, listen to me. I'm not talking about staying in a marriage where there's habitual abuse and violence and all kinds of things that are just not safe and right and proper according to the Scripture. But just like God doesn't terminate His love for us even if we slip and fall and sin, but gives us another chance. Our unfaithfulness to God doesn't change His faithfulness to us. Say amen. 2 Timothy 2 and 13, the Bible says, If we are faithless, He will remain faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. So when we break the covenant, God repairs the covenant and restores relationship with us. Even though He has the power to break the covenant, He chooses not to. Here's the close of my lesson for today. In the Old Testament, we read of a prophet by the name of Hosea. Hosea married Gomer. Gomer left Hosea for a life of illicit affairs with other men repeatedly. What was Hosea to do? She was publicly ruining his life and ministry. Logic would say, logic would say to Hosea, divorce her and get a wife more suitable for your ministry, sir. But God said to Hosea, go and find her and bring her back to me. I'm talking about grace now, because human effort wouldn't do that. So the Bible says, Hosea searched the city. Searching throughout the city, he finally finds his wife, Goma, at a slave auction in the marketplace. She had sold herself into slavery in order to survive financially. But by this time, having been gone for a while now, she was worn out, used up, perhaps diseased, unsightly and uncomely, and unattractive because she was involved in the market of sex for sale. And at this particular time, she was being auctioned off for only half the price of a common slave, not even the full price. And even at half the price, no one offered a bid for her. Nobody wanted her. But suddenly, from the back of the crowd, she heard a familiar voice. The voice said, I'll take her. A man called out loud from the crowd, but she recognized the voice. And she stood there stunned as this man moved from the back of the crowd to the middle of the crowd to the front. And she looked and she couldn't believe it. It was Hosea. The man that I left more than once to be intimate and to abuse our union fornication and adultery. The man whose children I mothered and left them and him. And he says he wants me. So he runs through the crowd. She runs off the auction block down to the floor level and in the middle of the crowd he embraces her and tears comes to her eyes because by his embrace and acceptance she's given a new start. 
Lord Jesus. <laughs> Anybody get the picture here? I'm not just talking about marriages right now. I'm talking about you and I. How many times the devil had us on the auction block after using us up and lying to us and we listening to him and he's used up our life, used up our mind, used up our money and not even some of our relatives would have us. But oh, one day Jesus on the outside of Jerusalem on a hill called Golgotha says, I'll take them, I'll take them, I'll take them. And thus we have been shown grace. Stand to your feet and thank the Lord with me for grace. After you have stood, put your hands together. Jesus, pay the price. Jesus, ransom us. Jesus loves us. Thank you, Lord. Last slide, please, sir. God said, I will heal their backsliding and I will love them freely. I'm talking to a few people here this morning that you have a struggle now that I've preached this message for you to go back to that marriage that caused you such pain and fear and emotional trauma you cannot do that in your human strength it's going to take grace for you to forgive that husband or that wife I'm talking to a few people now who are in a marriage that is not a marriage it's a contract it's not even a contract it's gone so bad until you're willing to kiss everything goodbye just to get out And I'm telling you, if you are able to stay in that marriage today, it will take the grace of God. But His grace is plentiful, His grace is free, and His grace is abundant. I'm talking to some people here this morning. You don't know what the future holds, but the Lord holds you. Some of you need a new start because what's over is over. He did it, she did it, they said it, you can't go back, things are just, so i got to start over. I'm talking about God's grace to give you a covenant commitment for the future. Oh, I feel His presence. I'm calling two kinds of people this morning. I'm calling people who say, God, I want to tear up the contract and I want to make the covenant first with my Savior. Can I get an amen? It may have nothing to do with your marriage, but I want to tell you something. Only those in covenant are going to go up yonder. Okay? Covenant says, Jesus, I love you whether you give me another blessing or not. Jesus, I'm going to serve you whether I get that new car, that next job, or whatever. I'm just going to serve you because you've already done so much for me, I could never begin to thank you. And then I want to ask those who say, Pastor, I'm not here to embarrass my spouse, nor I'm here to embarrass myself, but I need to move from contract to covenant. Sing that, Valerie, grace, grace, and I want you to fill the altar if you want to, saying, God, I'm coming about me. I'm going to make a personal commitment. I'm not here to do it for somebody else. I'm coming about my walk with you, my marriage, my children, whatever. Come from everywhere. Sing it to yourself. It's free. Don't delay. Hurry, 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 hurry. Come on. Sing it with her if you know it. When you come, lift up holy hands. Come on. Just come. Even if everything is all right, come with your spouse. Come with somebody that that if you're not married and you need to come for your walk with God, ask somebody to come with you. It's not embarrassing. It's not here to put a camera on you. Thank you, Jesus. Grace that is greater than all. Everybody sing with me now. We're singing a prayer, then we're going to pray. Lift your hands to Him. I need this grace. I need this grace. 
Softly, I want people who want to be an encourager to come and stand behind some of these that are here and lay your hands gently on them. I mean people who've gone through some tough places also, and God's brought you through it. Come on, stand behind them. I mean elders or elder spouse who used to serve, now you're serving. Some. You just love people. I mean ministers if you'd like. You just love people. Maybe your children went through something and God brought them through. You want to pray for somebody's children. Maybe your marriage went through something and God brought you through. Come and just, just a tender touch. A tender touch on their shoulder. Oh. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Somebody, just a touch can speak more than an entire book because it's a touch of encouragement. Now, those of the church family, reach your hands in the direction of your brothers and sisters here. And those of you that are in the altar, just begin now to say, Lord, whatever you need to say to him, God, I want to make a covenant today, another contract. Come on, everybody praying in the house. Father, thank you for your pure love for me. Thank you for your selfless love. Teach me to love my wife as Christ loves me. Teach women to love their husband as Christ loves them. Teach children to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. Teach grandmothers and grandfathers and mother-in-law and father-in-laws, come on, pray, to do covenant love. Don't let mothers and fathers give bad advice to their sons and daughters about their marriage. Don't let mother-in-laws and father-in-laws give bad advice. Save our marriages and homes. Oh God, we need grace. Come on, just I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to ask you to say, God, give me grace. I've tried it on my own, God. I've tried it and I meant it, but I didn't make it. But today I'm starting over. Come on, you're doing well. Change my values and let it be according to the Bible. Change me if I'm selfish, if I'm carnal, if I'm greedy, if I'm a dictator. Oh, God, change me to be like Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father. I cannot go and undo yesterday, but I can start today and have a brand new tomorrow. Come on and thank Him for it now. Now lift up your hands and thank Him because you've asked Him. Thank you, God, that I'm a better person all over the church. Thank you, God, that I'm a better man, a better woman, a better young person, a better husband, wife. Jesus, in the midst of political correctness, in the midst of, uh, Lord, a divorce epidemic, preserve our marriages on the Word of 